Welcome back to the Bulletproof Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Drew Ozenchuk, and you can follow me on Twitter at DFBeanCounter. So you know how sometimes you, you draft a player and then they don't perform. And then you have this like strong desire to never roster them again. <laughs> you just want nothing to do with the player. You got to stop doing that. It leads to such incredible buying opportunities. You need to get back in on those guys. When the fantasy community sours on a player, that's the time to buy. The guy I want to talk about today is that guy. Joe Mixon, Cincinnati Bengals. He is a bell cow running back, and they are extremely hard to acquire normally in fantasy football. So if you can find one for a discount, you got to do it. You got to take the plunge. And he's not that old. A lot of people are like, ah, he's drafted in 2017. He's an old running back now. I got to tell you, Ezekiel Elliott's 25, Nick Chubb's 25, Derrick Henry, 27, Austin Eckler, 25, Joe Mixon, 24, Najee Harris, 23. Joe Mixon isn't old. Najee Harris is the next thing. Mixon's only a year and a half older than him. Like, let that sink in. Joe Mixon isn't that old. He is approaching the age apex, yes, but he ain't there yet. So you got another season to get into Joe Mixon, get a really, really good fantasy season out of him. And then you can move on. But right now, you can buy him for cheap. So you should know by now that we are chasing volume. We chase volume. We hope for efficiency. That's how it goes. You can't predict efficiency. You can predict volume. Opportunity begets opportunity. Joe Mixon has had opportunity each of the last two years and a lot of it. But efficiency, on the other hand, is really hard to predict. It's it's driven by external factors, how they're used, the offense that they're in, their offensive line. Those types of things lead to effic- or leads to efficiency. Not so much the running back's inherent skill. Their inherent skill leads to the opportunity. The coaches put the best players in the field. That's what we're looking for from the from the running back position. So in 2019, Joe Mixon's last full season, he was number six in the NFL in opportunity share, 77.1%. That dude was the offense. When we're looking at Running back opportunity. What we're really looking for are targets and goal line carries. We want targets and touchdowns. Targets and touchdowns. That's what we're looking for. Joe Mixon had 2.8 targets per game in 2019. 45 targets total. He was on like a 30 catch pace. Like that's not great, but it's not bad. It's not bad. His goal line carries. He was number three in the friggin' world. He had 12 goal line carries, 0.8 per game. That doesn't sound that impressive, but it really is. Goal line carries aren't plentiful. If you're getting the bulk of your team's goal line carries, you're probably scoring touchdowns. So we want that. We want them to get into the red zone and give Joe Mixon opportunity. So what's really interesting about the 2019 season, though, is the splits. Before the team's bye versus after the team's bye. Before the bye, they played eight games. Joe Mixon had 126 touches. After the bye, they played eight games. Joe Mixon had 197 touches. That's 15 eight-point touches per game before the bye compared to 24.6 touches per game after the bye. 24.6 touches is unheard of. He's not going to get 24.6 touches per game, so don't get crazy on me, but it's it's showing his upside. He can, he can get a top-of-the-league opportunity share, and he has had a top-of-the-league opportunity share. What happened after that that torrid stretch down the uh, to, to end the season in 2019 is they went into the offseason, and they hit Joe Mixon with a Brinks truck. They gave him the bag. They paid the man. And then he came out in 2020 with his fancy new contract, his fat contract, and his opportunity share soared to 81.5%, number two in the NFL in the games that he played. He was the most utilized running back in the world, basically. 
Number two. He's a number one, but he's number two. It's pretty good. So one of the things that we're looking at when when I'm saying that the running back is largely like the running back skill is largely not really going to lead to efficiency. It's more going to lead to opportunity. The coaches put the best player on the field. If we are trying to pinpoint running back efficiency, the metric that I prefer is called yards created per touch from playerprofiler.com. In 2019, he had 1.84 yards created per touch, which was number eight in the NFL. He was really good at running the football. He was creating yards on his own outside of what the offensive line blocked. Joe Mixon is a good running back who's getting a ton of volume. Now, what they've done, they need to bolster the offensive line, right? Like the offensive line has been a train wreck. They signed Riley Reef in free agency. They drafted a first round O-lineman in 2019 in Jonah Williams, but he missed his rookie year. And then last year he played, but Joe Mixon missed most of last year. And now they're sitting at the clock with the 105 in the NFL draft with an incredible offensive line prospect sitting there just staring at them. I suspect he could go earlier, but I suspect Panay Sewell will be sitting there available for the taking. I've seen a ton of, I think, misguided hope, or I don't even know what to call it. A ton of people saying the Bengals are going to draft a wide receiver, which just doesn't make sense. Yes, could they use another wide receiver? Of course, you could always use another wide receiver and you could always use great wide receivers. Like I understand the argument that Wide receiver is largely like a one-on-one position. A wide receiver can make a difference. An offensive lineman is a unit position. So you need the whole unit to play well. But you still need good players. You still need good players on that unit. And they already have T. Higgins, who's a genuine, as good of a bet at a superstar as there is from last year's class that isn't already a superstar. Justin Jefferson, pardon me. T. Higgins is the next guy that looks like a bona fide superstar. He's already on the team. They already have under, like under-hyped Tyler Boyd, like he's Mr. Reliable out of the slot. They already have him. Joe Burrow was on a record-setting pace among rookie quarterbacks last year. He was going to break records as a rookie starter. This is an offense that's ascending. You want pieces in this offense. I get that they're the Bengals or the Bungles, but they're a really good offense. They have good players. They pass a lot. They're going to run a lot of plays. The offense is going to move the ball up and down the field at will. And that's going to lead to a ton of red zone attempts. And the primary benefactor will be Joe Mixon. His floor is an RB1. His ceiling is RB1 overall. This guy can win your fantasy league and you don't have to pay premium prices to get him. I just drafted him in a startup draft in the fourth round last night. Guys that can win your league shouldn't go in the fourth round of startup drafts. Go and get Joe Mixon on your team. Win your league and then trade the guy. Win your league and then trade him. That's what you need to do with Joe Mixon. So I had mentioned that T. Higgins is one of the best bets at a superstar wide receiver in the 2020 class. Let's talk about another one. Let's talk about Brandon Ayuk. Let's throw him, let's put him through the bulletproof prospect process and see what it unveils. So with Brandon Ayuk, we're talking about a guy who's six foot, six foot zero, right on the nose, 205 pounds. He is an alpha. He he fits the alpha profile. His, you know, his 40-yard dash is 4.50, which is mediocre. His burst score was like through the roof. Kid jumped out of the gymnasium, had a 92nd percentile burst score. Uh, he went, you know, in the first round of the NFL draft, the 25th pick in the NFL draft to the Kyle Shanahan-led San Francisco 49ers. I don't know why there isn't more hype about Brandon Ayuk, to be honest. Usually anybody in this 49ers offense just goes straight to the moon. Brandon Ayuk doesn't seem to have that effect. I don't know why. But anyway, when we look at his prospect profile, one of the metrics I look at is uh, market share receiving yards. So his portion of his team's receiving yards 
And Brandon Ayuk is a really interesting case. And this is probably why my model or my, I don't have a model. My process doesn't really fit for Brandon Ayuk. He only played two years of college football. He played at age 20 and age 21. His first two years at age 18 and 19, he played junior at a junior college. So he was not, those stats don't matter. They don't count. So at Age 20, Brandon Ayuk failed to hit the mark or failed to hit the threshold. At age 21, he he kind of smashed it. And then I use uh yards per team pass attempt as well. And this is again age adjusted. So 18 and 19, his seasons don't count. 20, he failed to hit it. 21, he crushed it. He did play with Nikhil Harry at t- age 20, his his rookie year, his freshman year with the uh Arizona Sun Devils, but it doesn't matter. He didn't hit it. So that's really all that matters. When we age adjust it, again, this is years out of high school. This is from Campus to Canada, a new website. They use years out of high school. And when you look at that for Brandon Ayuk, he doesn't hit the thresholds uh, at in his third year. He does hit in his fourth year. And then with yards per team pass attempt, again, he doesn't hit it in his third year. He does hit it in his fourth year. So basically, we don't really learn anything about Brandon Ayuk because he did he did play college football. He just played junior college football, so it doesn't count. But if you look into what he did at junior college, as a freshman, he caught 29 passes for 573 yards and five touchdowns. He was real good. And then at 19, at junior college, he was an All-American his sophomore season. He recorded 60 receptions, 960 yards, 14 touchdowns, 11 kickoffs for 418 kickoff return yards, two touchdowns, 14 punts for 313 yards and a touchdown. In his two-year junior college career, Brandon Ayuk had 2,500 all-purpose yards and 21 touchdowns. The dude was a star. But anybody who goes on to get drafted in the NFL in the first round is going to dominate at this school. Like, it doesn't matter. He played at Sierra College. You probably could have dominated at Sierra College if you went there. Brandon Ayuk's performance at Sierra College in my opinion, does not tell us that he's going to be a good football player. (laughs) Tells us he's not a bad football player because he's still dominated, but it doesn't give us any confidence that he's actually good at football. In short, he did not dominate from day one for the Sun Devils. He did not. And Kiel Harry like ate his lunch every single day. So he was technically a fourth-year breakout at age 21. What's really interesting about breakout age is that you need to kind of massage it to some extent. If a player doesn't play at 18... We really shouldn't expect him to break out at 18. If he doesn't play at 19, we really shouldn't expect him to break out at 19. Or doesn't play till he's 19. We shouldn't expect him to, pl- to break out at 19. We shouldn't, we shouldn't expect freshman breakout. We should always expect sophomore breakouts. That's the year that we want to see them hit. So with Brandon Ayuk, he was a third or a fourth year player, which was technically his second year at Arizona. So he kind of kind of hits our breakout goal. But here's a way to look at it. Of I just kind of filtered some of the players uh, just to just to give you an idea. So these are players that played at 18, played at age 18 in college football that did not break out until they were 20 or older. We have 13 guys drafted in the first round or in the uh, top three rounds. One of them hit. We have a 7.7% hit rate. That hit was Steve Smith of the New York Giants. On this list, we have first round picks Laquan Treadwell and Rashad Perryman. We have a bunch of second round picks, including Steve Smith, uh, Muhammad... I don't even know how to say this guy's name, actually. Masakoya. <laughs> we have Muhammad. We have Greg Little, Devery Henderson, and Kiri Colbert. And then in the third round, we have Taewon Taylor, Chris Conley, Josh Huff, Mike Sims Walker, Andre Caldwell, and Early Doucette. So we got we got nothing. Guys that played 18 and don't hit until they're 20, 21, they aren't good. They just aren't most of the time. There are, like I said, exceptions. If we... <laughs> 
you know, if you want to adjust for the Alabama factor, this is where Devonta Smith fits in. He didn't break out until his third year. He was 21. He played at 18. He played at 19. He didn't break out till he was 20. This is the list he fits on. It's a scary list. He's a better player than most of these guys because he actually dominated. He dominated unlike Laquan Treadwell. He dominated unlike Rashad Perryman. So Devonta Smith is much better than this list would indicate. Much better. Anyway, let's carry on. Now we're going to look at players that did not play at 18, but they did play at 19, but they still didn't break out till 20 plus. So we have nine players on this list. 22% of them hit. That's two out of 20, two out of nine. We have Anquan Bolden and Eric Decker as the hits. And then we got Robert Meacham in the first round who did not hit. We have Carlos Henderson, Austin Pettis, Limus Swede, Travis Wilson, Patrick Turner, and Taylor Jacobs. None of those guys hit. They're all drafted in rounds two or three. But that's a 22% hit rate. That's higher than our 7% hit rate of the previous group. Now, if we extend it again, now we're looking at players that did not play at 18 or 19, but they broke out at 20 plus. We have five out of 16. That's 31%. That's what we want to see. If we're experience adjusting, we want to see these players hit sooner as they're older. So in this group, we have Mike Wallace, Michael Thomas, Kelvin Benjamin, Brandon LaFell, James Jones, they all hit. And then we got Darius Stewart, Sammy Coates, Amara Darbo, Leonard Hankerson, Terrace Williams, Brian Cook, I don't know how to say this name, Devere, Posey, Bethel Johnson, Paul Williams, Devon Darling, and Kelly Washington. None of those guys hit. They're all drafted rounds two to three. Needless to say, we saw the experience factor impacted again, which is what we want to see. So that's good. Anyways, once we look at the full profile for uh, Brandon Ayuk, we, we put him in the alpha coin flip tier. He's big enough to be an alpha. He produced slash got the draft capital required to be a coin flip. This is the same tier that Devonta Smith would fit in if he was big enough. He's not big enough, so he will not fit in this tier. But if he was, he would fit in this tier. Anyways, we have 18 players. Six of them have hit. That's 33%. That's a little lower than what we normally see at a coin flip. There's some weird things happening in this coin flip tier, though. There's a couple guys that are, like, so close to being hits or probably should be hits or, you know, extenuating circumstances have kept them out of the hit column. We have Corey Davis. He missed twice he was a near miss twice he has two seasons outside of the top 24 but like just outside the top 24 and he played on the lowest passing team in the entire world his entire career up until now the other guy is justin blackman he was a fifth overall pick as well 865 yards as a rookie that's a really good rookie year and then he came out in his second year and he put up 415 yards in four games and then his career was cut short due to some off-field problems. The guy was on a pace to hit. Like there's there's nothing in his profile that suggests that he wasn't going to hit at some point other than off the field stuff. So he's he doesn't really count. Like he had he averaged 103.8 yards a game in four games in his second year. That's really good. So yeah, some guys that have hit, some guys that you can look to for Brandon Ayuk that have hit as a pro. We're talking about Brandon Ayuk as a prospect right now. So the guys that did hit that were in the coin flip tier draft in the first round are like Roddy White, Demarius Thomas, Dwayne Bowe, Michael Crabtree. Uh, and then we have like Nelson Aguilar and Roy Williams. So there is some serious ceiling here, some serious ceiling potential. This is as a prospect. And and now, like I was just saying, we have six out of 18 that hit. We If we bump Corey Davis into the hit tier, because he's probably going to hit with the Jets this year. And then we bump Justin Blackman into the hit tier. Now we have eight out of 18. That's just shy of 50%. And then we have Ayuk, who's definitely going to hit. That's nine out of 18. We're right back to 50%, just like we always should have been. I don't know. I mean, the buckets are what they are. They're just an easy way to fit people in. Anyways, why do I think Brandon Ayuk is going to hit? And the answer is sophomore comps. So let's dive in. This is where it gets exciting. Nine out of 10 of the players on 
Brandon Ayuk's sophomore comp list have hit a top 24 season. That's pretty good. 90%. Nine out of 10 players on Brandon Ayuk's sophomore comp list have hit a top 12 season. That's incredible. 90% top 12 hit rate. That is incredible. The guys on his list, the guys that we can now compare him to because we've seen Brandon Ayuk play in the NFL combined with his prospect profile, we get, and this is only filtering for PFF receiving grade. This is one of the metrics that I use. Just one. Just one. And then his prospect profile. So we have Demarius Thomas, Mike Evans, Keenan Allen, Dwayne Bowe, Chris Godwin, Jarvis Landry, Cooper Cup, Juju Smith-Schuster, AJ Brown, and those are the hits. And then we have Aurelius Ben, who did not hit. 9 out of 10. Incredible. And then when we, the next thing that I flip on is the ADP trend. So we get rid of the guys who ADP faceplanted. The guys that ADP faceplanted were Demarius Thomas, who should never have been an ADP faceplant. That is, he's a, he's a fake ADP faceplanter. Demarius Thomas had a really good rookie year. He, what happened is in March of his rookie year or March after his rookie year, he tore his Achilles tendon. He was out for the next season. He had Tim Tebow at QB. There was not a lot of hope for Demarius Thomas at this point. And most of it was probably due to missing the next year. That will hurt anybody's ADP. Anybody's. Demarius Thomas had a good rookie year though. And then we have Aurelius Bennett. I don't know why he face planted. He had a strong PFF grade. He didn't do much from a points per game perspective, but he had the same points per game as a rookie as Chris Godwin, Demarius Thomas. So I don't really know why Aurelius Ben face planted so hard, but he did. So we removed those two guys and we're left with eight out of eight guys and all eight guys have had a top 12 season. Every single one of them. Brandon Ayuk has a 100% top 12 hit rate on his comp list. That's incredible. I also use rookie year points per game. So once we factor in the rookie year points per game, it knocks us down to four comps. Mike Evans and Keenan Allen, who are perennial wide receiver ones, 1,000 yards every single year, usually a lot more. Then we have Juju Smith-Schuster, who we're not really sure what to think about Juju right now. And then we have A.J. Brown, who's in the contention for wide receiver one overall in Dynasty. Brandon Ayuk has that potential, and you don't have to pay for it. Brandon Ayuk is a sure thing, and you don't have to pay for it. Go get Brandon Ayuk. So now we're going to talk... Seth Williams, he is one of my favorite prospects in this class. We're going to dive in. We are going to put him through the full-on bulletproof profile. To begin with, Seth Williams is 6'3", 211 pounds. That is an alpha, 26.4 BMI. He smashes every box. Dude's thick. That's the kind of players we want. Those are the guys with the high ceilings. If you're not an alpha, you got almost no chance of being a perennial wide receiver one. That's what we're chasing at the wide receiver position because that's what you need to win. If you're looking at wide receiver production and what matters when you're looking at, say, wide receiver, I don't know, roughly 15 to 45, they're all the same. There's little difference. If you want a difference maker, it's got to be a wide receiver one. Alphas are the wide receiver ones. And then the next thing I look at is athletically, I'm not like super into athleticism for the wide receiver position. There's almost no correlation there. It's more of a role, like size and speed play more of a comp role than anything else. It tells me what kind of role the player is going to play. Seth came in with a 6.91. It wasn't amazing, but it was plenty good enough. He's above average. So that's important to me. That's using relative athletic score from at MathBomb on Twitter. It's got a great website. You can look up everyone. It's fantastic. And from a size, speed, like athleticism perspective, there's some exciting ceiling plays on the Seth Williams 
comp profile. We have Jordy Nelson, Dwayne Bow, Michael Clayton, Kenny Britt, Jacoby Jones, Brian Quick, Brian Robisky, and Michael Floyd. Jordy and Dwayne Bow both had top five seasons. Jordy had a couple of them. They both had top 12 seasons. And then Michael Clayton and Kenny Britt also had top 24 seasons. But really what we're looking at here is what is the ceiling and we have elite ceiling on the docket which is really what we're looking for. The next thing we're looking at is the early declares. Like early declares, they, they just smash more often than seniors do. And it kind of makes sense. Like if a player goes to college and the NFL is like, hey, you know what? You're really good. Come on out. We're going to draft you early. That probably means they're really good. Bad players don't generally declare early. When it comes to like prospecting, fourth year, fifth year production doesn't matter. It's so irrelevant in the grand scheme of things. That's why... With like Devonta Smith going back for his final year and then blowing up. That doesn't matter to me because he's he's basically already locked in after his junior year. We want the early declares. Seth Williams an early declare. The dude dropped out of school to come play on your favorite NFL team. God bless him. From a breakout age perspective, player profiler has Seth Williams breakout age at 19.4. That's an 81st percentile breakout age. That is fantastic. That is also his freshman year. He was a freshman breakout. That also matters. Experience adjusting is a thing that a lot of analysts are moving to. If we're looking at draft capital now, we're not really sure where Seth's going to end up. It looks like he might be right on the tail end of the third round. He might even fall into day four, day three. If he falls into day three, all bets are off. This changes everything. If he ends up a round three guy, everything I'm talking about absolutely fits. Third round capital combined with an age 19 breakout, according to PA Howdy's really fancy chart. If you are watching on YouTube, you can see the chart. If you aren't watching on YouTube and you're listening to the podcast, make sure you check out the video next week. It's going to be up next week, probably on uh, Wednesday, if I'm not mistaken. So when you combine these, round three draft capital, age 19 breakout, That's a 22.2% chance of hitting if we're looking at nothing else. And we're not factoring in early declare. We're not factoring in production. We're not factoring in anything else. Just breakout age. It's a 22.2%. It's only going up from there. So let me get to the good stuff. College production. I use market share of receiving yards. That is the number one. Well, I use two metrics for production. One of them is market share receiving yards adjusted by age. You can find these graphs on Dynasty League Football. It's a fantastic website that gives you access to all kinds of useful information. Seth Williams just missed the threshold at age 19, but he did hit it at 20 and 21. So, you know, two out of three ain't bad. And then the next metric I look at is called yards per team pass attempt. And really what it does is combines dominance and efficiency. We want players that dominate their offense and we want players that do it efficiently. That's what we're looking for. The dude Z on Twitter has a website called Zeno is my name. If you go and type that in, you can look up yards per team pass attempt adjusted by age, which is what we want. We want to compare apples to apples. This gives us that opportunity. Seth wasn't very efficient. (laughs) I'll be honest with you. He barely makes the cut. He like just makes the cut for my thresholds in two out of three years. And it should be noted though, this isn't just a wide receiver metric, even though it is really good at predicting which wide receivers are good and which ones aren't. But he had Bo Nix throw into him. Bo Nix was an awful college quarterback. His completion percentage of the two, the last two years of Seth's career are 57.6% and 59.9%. That's really low. Contrast that with like the Alabama guys playing with like, you know, 70% plus quarterbacking. It's, it's a huge contrast. So it's, I don't, always blame the wide receiver for this but you like make no mistake Seth contributed to this terrible completion percentage he's a part of that so it's not all on Bo they're both to blame 
And then, like I said, there's a new trend coming where a lot of analytics people are are shifting from age-adjusted production to experience-adjusting production. There's a new website out that has built a very handy graphing tool where you can look at experience-adjusted production. So when you do this for Seth, his first year, he hits now, or he's really close. His second year, he hits. His third year, he hits for receiving yards and market share. For receiving yards per team pass attempt, experience-adjusted, he's like right on the line all three years, like right there. I guess what I'm trying to say is so far, Seth looks like a very good NFL or a very good college football player. Then what I like to look at is I go to a uh, pro football reference or sports reference, I guess, because we're looking at college and I look at who are their teammates? Who did they compete with? Who did they have to beat out for receiving yards on their team? I want to see these guys dominate other NFLers. If they're just dominating a bunch of guys you never heard of, it's not that impressive. It's not a bad thing. Like dominating bad players is still a good Good thing to happen, but you just get a little more confidence when they're dominating other NFLers. So as a freshman, Seth competed for targets with Darius Slayton, who was literally everyone's day three darling, who, uh, you know, crashed down to earth in his sophomore year. Predictably, obviously, because he didn't have that good of a rookie year and he was a day three pick. His sophomore comps are terrible is what I'm trying to say. Anyways, he was an NFL. He is an NFLer. And Seth went almost toe-to-toe to him toe-to-toe with him. Darius Slayton had 670 yards receiving. Seth Williams had 534. That's pretty good for Seth, considering Slayton is literally 2.5 years older. Like, we're not comparing apples to apples here. Seth was at a significant disadvantage playing in his freshman season. Slayton was in his senior season, and Seth nearly went toe-to-toe to him. And then Seth kind of ate Anthony Schwartz's lunch, who had 357 yards. Schwartz is predicted or projected to be a mid-round pick in the 2021 NFL draft. So Seth has competed with and dominated NFLers in his first year. And then we get to his sophomore year and Seth completely took over. He nearly doubled Anthony Schwartz in receiving yards, 830 to 440. No one else was close. It was Seth's team and that's all that that's all that there was to it. And then in his junior year, Seth and Schwartz pretty well went toe-to-toe. Seth beat him by about 130 yards. Uh, Seth had 760. Schwartz had 636. So it wasn't like a runaway like it was in their junior or in their uh, sophomore years, but it was still pretty favored to the Seth side. So what we can glean from all this is that Seth did dominate other NFL players, which is a good sign. Doesn't mean he's going to dominate the next level, but at least it's shown that he can play with other NFLers and, and dominate them. So then I have different tiers that I give these players, right? I have grades that I give them. I have a transcendent tier, which is like the best of the best of the best. That's like Julio Jones and AJ Green and Calvin Johnson are in that tier. Then I have a generational tier. This isn't a generational tier in the sense that a lot of people use generational. It's more looking at guys that we can project for repeated wide receiver one seasons as prospects. Like we just know these guys are going to be great. This is guys like Des Bryant and DJ Moore and uh, Brandon Cooks falls in here, Odell Beckham Jr. And I wish I would have known this because I didn't define this tier until like December this year. Justin Jefferson fits in this tier and I'm so mad that I didn't realize it last year, but you know, live and learn. Now we know that's not the tier that Seth Williams falls into. Then we have Bulletproof, which is like really strong bets to have wide receiver two seasons. And if they're alphas, really strong bets to have perennial wide receiver one seasons. And then we have coin flips, which are like a 50-50 shot. Long shots are like a 25%. And then busts are like 10% or less. So all this wrapped up together, taking in the full context and the full production and the size and so on and so forth of Seth's profile, we get a coin flip grade. And then with wide receivers, we get a secondary title. The other positions only get the first one. Wide receivers, we now separate it. We have alphas and betas and make no mistake, Seth is an alpha. The dude 
is a monster. So he gets the coin flip alpha grade, which assumes that he does get day two draft capital. If he gets, if he doesn't get drafted in round three and he falls into round four, it's all over. Cross him off the list. Now he's Gabriel Davis and we don't care about him anymore. So his closest comps based on size, athleticism, and grade are Jordy Nelson, Dwayne Bowe, and Michael Floyd. And this makes him look way better than it should. He's He's not, he doesn't have that good of a chance of hitting, but it shows the ceiling that's there. Jordy Nelson and Dwayne Bull both had top five seasons. They both had top 12 seasons, obviously, and they both had top 24 seasons. These guys were difference-making wide receivers. That is what Seth Williams has in his range of outcomes. The overall hit rate for coin flip alphas from 2003 to 2018, top five hit rate is six out of 41, so 14.6%. Top 12 hit rate is 12 out of 41. That's a 29% hit rate. Top 24 hit rate is still 18 out of 41. That's a 44% hit rate. Seth has an average first round. Like if you look at the average hit rate of a first round pick, it's roughly in, in, sorry, if you look at the average hit rate of a first round pick in dynasty rookie drafts, it's roughly 50%. Seth has that hit rate and he's going in round three. According to dynasty football, he's wide receiver 12 off the board. And I pick number 305 in Superflex rookie drafts. I am smashing that. Smashing it. I, I cannot believe that's how late he's going. I want all the Seth Williams. I already own him in most of my Devi leagues because I've been on this guy since he broke out as a freshman. I'm really into Seth Williams. If he falls to 305 and you are on the clock, if you pick anyone else, you have made a tragic error.